0: If you'd like to open up your Bibles to 1 John, chapter 4. 1 John, chapter 4. Our text this morning is 1 John, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. I'm just going to read it for us here, and then we'll pray and, and get into it. 1 John, chapter 4, verses 16 through through eighteen, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are in this world." There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. My sermon title for today is called No Fear in Love, and my prayer for myself and all of us here is that we would come into a deeper revelation of that love of God for us. And so let's just uh, take a moment to pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we have been able to gather here this morning and to bless you and to praise your name and to worship you. And God, we thank you for the reminder of the prophetic word over this church and over this community a call to be burning ones that light a fire of revival and, and seeing your kingdom come across this nation, God. And, Father, we just say yes and amen to it, Lord, and we just say bring it, Lord. God, prepare our hearts and, and let us be that people. Father, let us be that people. And, Lord, we ask and we pray now that as we dig into this word, Father, that our hearts and minds would be open to receive from you, I ask that you would guide my words and give me clarity of thought and um, conciseness in my my speaking. And I just thank you for this opportunity to share. And I pray that you would be honored and we would be built up. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. 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 My journey towards Christ actually began at a very young age. I was born into uh, an Anglican family. And I was baptized and confirmed in the Anglican church. And though we were not we were not actually, I would say, dedicated to following Jesus um, at that particular time, we were very faithful church attenders. Um, we would hardly ever miss a Sunday, and it was very much church was very much a part of our lives, even though we didn't fully understand all of what it meant to follow Jesus. But as we, as I have two older siblings and as time wore on, my mom and dad could see that sort of the routineness of, the, of that church expression was, quite frankly, it was starting to bore us <laughs> as kids. It was sort of just going through the motions, and we weren't taking a lot out of it, and my parents could kind of see, oh, this is a bit of an issue, and needed to, to change things up a little bit. I have nothing but respect for the Anglican church and that tradition, but just for us at that particular point in our journey, um, it just wasn't wasn't where we were at. And um, my mom at that time was also doing a lot of soul searching. Um, She had had a death in her family, and it was just raising a lot of questions, and she was just going through a period of really figuring out what, what did she actually believe, and where was their hope, and those kinds of things. So she was on a real journey in that, and Actually, it was at the encouragement of a coworker that she was encouraged to go and speak to the pastor of our local Evangelical Baptist Church. And it was at this church that my mom um, dedicated her life to Jesus, and we started attending that church, and subsequently after that, I actually um, dedicated my life to Jesus as well. Now... Before I get too deep into why I'm sharing all of this this morning, I feel it's really important for me to, to honor the church that I initially was a part of. I am eternally grateful for the ministry and the church of Lake Park Baptist Church outside of Birch Hills, Saskatchewan, where I grew up. I'm eternally grateful for their ministry and them reaching out to my family. I'm eternally grateful for, he is, uh, he passed away last summer, but his name was Larry Strand, and he was the coworker who encouraged my mom to reach out to the pastor uh, to have a formal discussion, and, um, and that eventually led her to the Lord and, and set us on a journey towards Christ as well. I am eternally grateful and thankful for everything that that church has done for me. It is where I started my journey towards the Lord. But like all journeys, they don't just have a beginning, right? A journey continues. You don't just have a starting point. The point of a journey is you keep going, right? And what I can see now, roughly about 10 years worth of following Jesus, is that What was happening at the beginning stages of my journey towards Christ was that my initial understanding of the gospel was primarily rooted in fear. My initial understandings of the gospel were primarily rooted in a fear of punishment, and like I, like I said, I can't express to you how grateful I am for this church and this ministry and everything that they have done in my life. But as you journey down the road, you can look back in hindsight and go, huh, there are some things that maybe could have been done differently. Uh, When my mom first gave her life to the Lord, the pastor who she spoke to, he had recently undergone some some evangelism training that was known at the time as evangelism explosion. I don't know if you've ever heard of that or have had any experience with that. But basically, this approach of evangelism was essentially to start the conversation, to start the spiritual dialogue like this. So if you can imagine, my mom is sitting down with the pastor in his office, and this is the first question. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you would be, heaven or hell? And this was the start of the conversation. <laughs> this, was the appro- this was the evangelistic approach that I was first introduced to as a child. Of course, my mom is in a spiritual, soul-searching place where she's going, I have no idea. And so he then very faithfully leads her through a process known as the Roman's Road. Have any of you ever been experienced with the Roman's Road? Essentially, it's a passage, it's bit-by-bit understanding of salvation according to Romans. And the pastor walked her through that, and she gave her life to the Lord. And of course, she came home very eager to get the rest of us saved. Quite frankly, and um, we all were very promptly given meetings with the pastor. And uh, the pastor asked me the same question: "Do you know where you would be?" I'm like, I'm like in the eighth grade. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea. And so he led me through the Romans Road, and and so I got saved. Let me, let me again reiterate, I am eternally grateful for this church and their ministry. But the problem with this understanding of the gospel is, is profound, <laughs> if we're going to just be really blank about it. My first exposure to the gospel was rooted in the fear of punishment. That's what it was rooted in. It was rooted, if, if we strip away all the other stuff, and we just get down to the core of it, it is rooted in the fear that I will face God's wrath, I will face God's punishment. And Jesus is the answer to that. When I look back at my first understandings of the gospel, and ultimately my, the starting point of how I began to view God, it was less about his love towards me expressed in Jesus, and it was so much more about escaping fire, if I can be frank. That was my beginning space of the gospel. See, this gospel basically reduces, reduces the, the vastness and the beauty of the good news of Jesus to essentially an afterlife insurance policy. Does this make sense? This understanding of the gospel basically takes all of the good news that Jesus had to say here and now in the present and basically cuts out the the big portions of it and it takes this little piece on the side and it makes it the center. And it says essentially that the only thing that matters to the gospel is that you won't go to hell after you die. You will go to heaven. Now, this is... A, it's it's like an and it's just it's a contractual deal <laughs> this understanding of the gospel it's a contractual deal jesus died to pay for my sins in the event that i die which i will <laughs> he promises me you know my insurance policy i get to go to heaven i had just have to pay the premium of confessing he's lord and asking him into my heart <laughs> and that's the contract and that's how it works and many people operate their faith this way. Jesus died so that I can go to heaven when I die. I ask for forgiveness and invite him into my heart. That's it. Contract's done. We can all go. (laughs) And there are profound issues with this understanding of the gospel, and I just want to share three of them with you right now. Number one, These are some of the biggest issues that I see with this understanding of the gospel. Number one, Jesus never preached it. Okay? (laughs) There's a profound problem when your presentation of the gospel is entirely based on afterlife issues. And Jesus never talked about that. The crux of Jesus' gospel message was not, here's how you get to heaven after you die. What did Jesus say? He would walk into a place and he would say, the kingdom of God is what? At hand. The kingdom of God is now. Mark chapter 1 Verse 14 and 15 say this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Did you hear that? Jesus is about to preach the gospel. What does he say? Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, Do you know how to get to heaven? (laughs) Is that what he said? No. No. That's not what he said. He said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. God is fulfilling his promise to come into the flesh. God is fulfilling his promise through Jesus that through his life and death, his resurrection and ascension, that God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and enacting his kingdom here on the earth now. That is good news. (laughs) God is in charge now. Not just in the future, not just after you die, not just for a cozy security after death. God is Lord now. That is the good news. That is the gospel. It wasn't about having an afterlife insurance policy. It's about surrendering our entire lives to the truth that He is Lord here and now. That, that's, that, so number one problem with this understanding of the gospel, Jesus never preached it. That should be a pretty big red flag <laughs> off the bat, okay? The second thing, number two I would say, with this understanding of the gospel is it doesn't call anyone into authentic discipleship. It doesn't call anyone into authentic discipleship. Okay, if if you've ever gone and gotten taken out an insurance policy or whether it's a life insurance, or it's a car insurance, or a house insurance, whatever it is. You go in, you see the broker, and you discuss the details and what this coverage is going to mean, in the case of this and that, and you go through the details, and you go, yeah, okay, I can agree to that premium. You write them a check or a post-dated thing, you sign your waiver, shake their hand, and you go home and you do what? Spend the rest of your life just consumed with the glory of the insurance broker? No, no, you don't do that. You're like, oh, that's done. That's all taken care of. I'm going to get on with the rest of my life now. When you reduce the gospel to an afterlife insurance policy that says, I don't have to go to hell. I just get to go to heaven. You sign the deal, you pray your prayer, and then Jesus is done. You can get on with your life now. It does not call you into an authentic form of discipleship. That's not what Jesus said. It's not. He said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then not too long later, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Nobody's taking up their cross for the insurance broker. Like, I'm sure they're nice people, but nobody nobody in their right minds is going, oh, I'm just, my whole life is consumed with the beauty and the wonder of the insurance broker because he gave me my policy. No, you don't care. You're not, you're not fascinated with and consumed with and ready to lay down your whole life for that guy. Sure, he's a great guy. But listen, it does, that understanding of the gospel doesn't call you into life now. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus calls us. And he says, repent and believe in the gospel. And then you begin to follow him. Because the gospel is not just about you getting to go to heaven when you die. It's about entering into the kingdom reality that God wants to bring heaven to earth now. Through you and through me. And so, I would say that that is also a big problem with this understanding of the gospel it doesn't call anyone into an authentic form of discipleship you can kind of just move on with your life if you want to and then lastly the third one and i would say this might be the most obvious and damaging problem of with this understanding of the gospel is that how it actually portrays the character of god How it actually portrays the character of God when you get right down to it. In this, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll trust in Jesus gospel, what it implies about God is that God the Father is not actually for you, He's against you. Did you catch that? This understanding of the gospel, this, I don't want to go to hell, so I guess I'll trust in Jesus. What this understanding of the gospel implies implicitly about God is that he's not for you. He's actually against you. He's actually angry at you. And this is what I believed about God. This is what I believed for years. And my, my faith was like walking on a tightrope because I thought God was angry at me all the time, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't enter into the depths of the Father's love for me, because the only way the Father loved me was because Jesus took the bullet. Does this make sense? Because implicitly in this gospel, Jesus is the only reason God isn't mad at you anymore. He died to take away your sin and then somehow the wrath of God is dealt with in that and now I guess me and the Father are cool because of Jesus. But Jesus didn't die to take away the Father's wrath. Jesus died to reveal the Father's love. He didn't die to take away the Father's wrath. He died to reveal the Father's love. And there is perhaps no, no one more profoundly in Western church history, who portrayed this understanding of an angry God than by a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. If you're not familiar with Jonathan Edwards, he was a Puritan preacher in the 1700s before America was officially its own state, separate from, separate from the United Kingdom. And he was a preacher in the colonies, and his most famous sermon was preached in July of 1741. His most famous sermon is called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And whether you have heard this sermon or not, it has so profoundly shaped the fabric and the culture of Western Christianity, even if you haven't heard it, there have been aspects of your faith that you have believed it. I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from it just so you can get a a little flavor of what happened on that Sunday morning in 1741. This is from Edwards, preaching to his church. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times so abominable in his eyes as the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. Can I get an amen? (laughs) I'll read one more for you just for kicks. This is a real sermon, by the way. A real sermon, just FYI. It would be dreadful to suffer the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God one moment, but you must suffer it to all eternity. There will be no end to this exquisite, horrible misery. When you look forward, you shall see a long forever, a boundless duration before you, which will swallow up your thoughts and amaze your soul. And you will absolutely despair of ever having any deliverance, any end, any mitigation, any rest at all. You will know certainly that you must wear out long ages, millions and millions of ages in wrestling and conflicting with this almighty merciless vengeance. And then when you have done so, when so many ages have actually been spent by you in this manner, you will know that all is but a point to which remains. It's always great to end church on a high note, so let's... uh, (laughs) This was what he preached. And it was noted that his congregation, people literally started falling out of the pews and writhing in their seats, begging for mercy. I have only one question... Is that true? Is that true? Is that what God is like? Is that what he's like? Is he holding you over the fire in his fierce, vengeful anger, waiting only to toss you in? Is that what he's like? Is that what he's like? Is that true? Or is there a different God revealed in Jesus? Is there a different God revealed in the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus? A God who is merciful, a God who is kind, a God who is forgiving. A God who is compassionate and gracious. Maybe of a God who does not inflict fear, but instead showers us with love and mercy so that fear might be driven out of us. So that we could be a life of love to a world that is riddled with fear. Is that the God that's revealed in Jesus? Let me read to you the passage once again. 1 John chapter 4 verse 16 through 18. And I just want you, I'm just asking you to close your eyes and just let the Scripture, let the truth of God's nature just touch your soul. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because he, as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. God is love. Amen. I'm going to say that one more time. God is love. It is the essence of his nature. And that perfect love that God has for you and for me is designed in such a way to drive out fear from our hearts. As we abide in that perfect love of God, we become love to the people around us. In a world that is full of anger and division and fear, we know that God is conquering that darkness, not by inflicting more fear, not by causing more division, not by pouring out anger, but by giving us himself. Perfect love in the fullness. And it is by this love that we're changed. Fear is given less and less room in our lives because perfect love is pushing it out. And then we get to be love to the world around us. And my friends, that is a good news worth preaching. God is not angry at you. He loves you. You're a child in his family. And maybe you're here and you're aware of that reality. And you're living and abiding in that truth. Praise be to God. Maybe you're here and you're not in that place. You need to know that you're welcome to join the family. You're already a part of it. The love that God has towards you has never changed. It will never be any more than it is right now whether you make that choice or not. He invites you into a kind of loving relationship that fears get pushed out of your heart so that you can live a life of crazy love, of crazy burning heart devotion for God and for this world. We want to be burning ones. I, I, I want our church to be the burning ones that have been prophesied over us. But that fire will not happen if fear is allowed to remain in our hearts. Even if it's fear of God. (laughs) If we're afraid of God, if we're afraid of God, how can we express the love of God? if in the back of our subconscious we think that he's still this vengeful guy who holds us over the flames like a spider to be tossed in with zero disregard, how will you express the love of God to the neighbor? Perfect love must first so invade our hearts that fear has no more room at the table. And my prayer this morning is that that perfect love, that we would pursue that love, that we would abide in that love, that we would be transformed by that love. Because that's the gospel. That's good news.